What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Eagles post-game report, breaking down Texas A&M football's 47-3 win over Louisiana Monroe. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle. Joined always by Robert Sesson and Travis Brown. Guys, A&M did what they were expected to do. They 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 beat the Warhawks pretty good and uh, did it without some key guys on the field today. Yeah, I thought that was one of the keys facts, like I just told you guys before we went on. I didn't realize a couple of those starters weren't starting because they come out so effectively both on offense and defense, and that's a credit to those guys. Uh, Walker uh, comes to mind. And then uh, Wegman, you cannot talk about Wegman. To me, he was just, just lights out. Yeah, a couple of just housekeeping things there. Uh, it was uh, Tony Grimes, Evan Stewart, uh, uh, Jordan Gilbert, uh, uh, Tyreek Chappelle, um, some of those guys, Bryce Foster, Bryce Foster who uh, weren't able to go today. Jimbo Fisher said pretty much with all of them, it's just little nicks and knacks that they didn't want to uh, risk having those guys go out uh, against ULM. But it's guys like uh, uh, Jade Walker and, uh, you know, getting a, a big time start with Evan Stewart out, Anaya Smith getting a few more of those touches, uh, Martin Nobu coming in at center uh, and getting a, doing a good job there. Those guys really kind of shown in this game when uh, – we didn't know kind of where they would go maybe in some of these situations with some of those guys out. Yeah, you know, it, it was pretty evident in the, the pregame stuff that, you know, Evan Stewart and Jordan Gilbert weren't going to play. It wasn't until the game started that we d- realized that Tyreek Chappelle and Bryce Foster weren't going to go once the game began. They actually went – they were suited up going through warm-ups, but didn't actually see the field. But, yeah, Wegman, 25-29, 337 yards, one touchdown. That was to Jade Walker, of course. What was that, the highest completion percentage since Gary Kubiak in the 80s or something? Yeah, high, uh, eighty. he was at 86.2, which is the highest since Gary Kubiak threw 90.5 against Arkansas in 1981. That's a pretty good company. And that 90.5 was the highest in, in A&M uh, history, so he, he comes in at number two. Yeah, I think A&M also had, it was the first time since 2018 they had two receivers over 100 yards in the same game. Of course, Anaya Smith led the team with 127 yards on seven catches. Jade Walker, 110 on five. He almost had he almost had two touchdowns, dropped that one in the end zone on, on Wegman's roll. And that one game with the two in 2018 was South Carolina. It was mm-hmm. Courtney Davis and Jay Sternberger. Jay Sternberger carrying the guy on his back like 10 yards in that game <laughs> yeah. when he kind of had his coming out party. Okay, we were you talking said, about... You said that. You we, said that. we knew it was Sternberger. We were trying to figure out the other one. I said Jamon Osmond, but Courtney Davis mm-hmm. makes sense. Could I, I was also wondering about Kendrick Rogers, but you know, um, you know, at running back, kind of by committee again today. Le'Veon Moss came back; he sat out last week. It looked like he might have been able to go, but they held him out, and uh, they used all three pretty well: uh, Ruben Owens, Le'Veon Moss, Amari Daniels. Yeah, one of those things again is it's hard to judge in three games, but you got to like what Petrino's done. The two games at home. To me, they established a pass first, and why not? The way Wegman's gone, he was hot in both games. Guys running wide open, and then they mix in the run as the game goes on. I'll be interested to see the next two games moving on, how Petrino does that, because the receivers were hot, they were giving them those routes, and Wegman, as we mentioned, you can't beat 90% almost, whatever, and it was there all the time. 
you know, last week the big story was how bad A&M's secondary played. And early on, ULM had they had a catch of 37 and a catch of 32. But by the end of the game, they only had 95 passing yards. Their quarterback went 6 of 15. So when you think about it, 69 out of 95 on two catches, while not good for A&M to give those up, they, they kind of buckled down and, and kind of slowed things as the game progressed. Here's where I'm going to be the Debbie Downer. I I, I, yes, you can't fault, you know, Cease uh, gave high marks to the defense in his grades this week because they hold him to three points. What was it? 222 like yards total offense. But when you, when the game was still on the line, when there was still a game to be played there in the first and the second quarter, I think it was at the start of the second quarter, they were averaging like 17 yards per uh, uh, completion and seven yards per rush. I'm not sold. The jury's still out on if this defense can really measure up in the SEC. And it's going to be a shame if they can't, because if you look around the country, Alabama's struggling against USF. Uh, you have uh, Georgia, which was struggling against uh, South Carolina. Uh, this is the most wide open. The entire SEC has been and might be going into SEC play. And if the AM if AM can can tweak some of those defensive things, which I think comes more down to schematics than it does necessarily execution, they have a shot here. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but Cease, I, am I overreacting? Because I, I just yes, the defense did a good job against Louisiana Monroe, but there was things out there that concerned me that said I don't know that they necessarily took a huge step forward from Miami. Yeah, because there was guys open, and they were missing one of their quarterbacks. They had two quarterbacks. One of their quarterbacks was out, and he's kind of their better quarterback when you look at the stats. So when you look at that, there was guys open. This was a bad matchup for ULM because they want to come in and run the ball, even with their quarterback, and A&M wasn't going to let them run. Their defensive line was too good. So then they had to throw the ball, and they can't throw the ball. And like we said, they made three big plays, and you ask yourself, what if they had a good quarterback or was was a passing team? And you're right, we don't want to be Debbie Downers, but it is what it is. You only can beat a bad team so bad, and AM did. But moving forward, I'm with you, Travis. I want to see what that defense can do. Because like on one play, they split it between the cornerback and the safety, and it was a great pass, and the guy was wide open. He doesn't get tackled, and he goes down to like the 10, and they can't score. So you're right. I want to see. And you and Jimbo Fisher brought it up, and you have that one play that's just going to stick in everybody's mind, the fourth and one where they go for it, and it's a little mm -hmm. kind of read option pull, and he goes right around the outside for 51 yards. If that's like any other quarterback in the SEC, he's scoring on that. There's just those plays that – Yes, that one guy got an arm on a guy to tackle him and bring him down against ULM, but is that going to be a touchdown or a chunk play or uh, something like that against an SEC team? I don't know. You know, and, and you have to say in these games, it's easy to say with offense when they play ULM, New Mexico, a lot of times they'll go vanilla on offense because they don't want to put a lot on film. You don't know on defense how much they want to put on film when SEC comes up and are they going to do enough to get by when it comes to pressures and blitzes and things like that. But... Uh, I still got my questions. I still got my questions. Only two sacks today from A&M, of course. It looked like they were keeping things pretty vanilla up front. I think Shamar Turner has half of what a I think A&M has seven sacks on the season. He's He has at least three. I know that. He might have four. But, um, yeah, kind of interesting. We were, we were kind of talking about that. And you noted that they've been doing this. Just It was kind of interesting to watch how – they used LT Overton. I mean, it was it was basically like a safety plan on the line in coverage a couple of times. A lot of times when people like to complain about 
uh, DJ Durkin's three-man front. It, it's it's three down linemen with a defensive end that's either stood up and he's kind of going on a delayed rush or dropping back into zone coverage. You even saw on that kind of prevent defense when they had a third down and forever that Fadil Diggs dropped back like in a, in a walked up yeah, safety he position. Like a high safety almost. Right. And and so he likes to do interesting things with those defensive ends and sometimes even put them into pass coverage especially in zone. For I mean, I know you want to do different things, give quarterbacks different looks, and sometimes you can bait a quarterback into throwing a ball in that direction because they're not expecting it. But for a team that's kind of struggled to put pressure on the quarterback, why are you taking away one of your best pass rushers in both those instances? I, I don't know. I, again, defensive schematic questions, but it's something that Durkin's done over the last two seasons, especially on third down. If only we could ask Durkin why he does that. But, <laughs> hey, Anum's got Auburn next weekend. It's going to be an early kick. Uh, on my way up here, I was uh, checking to see. It looked like Auburn was rolling up on Stan- Samford, excuse me, not Stanford, Samford. Jimbo Fisher Fish- Samford. Jim- Jimbo Fisher Samford. Uh, buddy, my Ma- Matthew Bennett, he went there too. But uh, 